Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's edition of Calvary Live. My name is Ed Taylor, taking your calls and your questions. 303-690-3000 is the number to use. That number is to get on the air. Uh, That really is the best part of the show is when we talk about something on the air. Uh, But if you're unable to be on the air, we also have a dedicated texting line. So you can text into the show at 720-336-0897. So give me a call. Lines are wide open. It's the beginning of the... It's the beginning of the show, so that means the phone lines are wide open. If you have wanted to be on the air before and haven't been able to get through, now's the time to call. 303-690-3000. Hey, had a great time and a great turnout. Uh, for our Bible study last night, um, thinking it through, I think it's our it was our last Wednesday night Bible study of the year. Uh, didn't think about it too much until right now, but we uh, next Wednesday is a big day for us. So a week from t- yesterday, ne- next Wednesday is our twenty year anniversary service, uh, where we're going to be gathering Wednesday night at seven p.m. here at Calvary Church to celebrate 20 years of God's faithfulness as a church family. And Marie and I and our three children moved out here in 1999 from Southern California to see what God wanted to do in a church plant. And here we are 20 years later. It's it's hard to believe uh, that we've been here for 20 years. It's hard to believe what God has allowed us to be a part of in 20 years. It's hard to believe that we are still serving the Lord faithfully uh, with so many wonderful men and women that are directly and indirectly connected to Calvary Church. Uh, Yes, we've changed our name over the years. We actually incorporated as Calvary Christian Fellowship of Aurora, and then we changed it to Calvary Chapel Aurora, and then it was changed to Calvary Aurora, and then it was Calvary for a while, But recently, we've just adopted the name Calvary Church to highlight for the community that we are indeed a church. Our building doesn't look like a church. Our property doesn't look much like a church. Uh, And so people were beginning to think that maybe we were a marriage chapel. So we got a lot of calls for that. Uh, We have a school bus in our parking lot, so people thought that we were merely a school. Because, you know, a lot of the charter schools are in big square box buildings like our church. And so we 
our we changed our name and part of that changing of the name is a uh, uh, re uh, what's the word I want to say back on the table like you know reconsidering praying through launching new satellite campuses around Colorado that's why it's Calvary Church Colorado even though we're the Calvary Church in Aurora so that anywhere we uh, feel the Lord is leading us to put a campus uh, Denver um, you know wherever we can just call it Calvary Church Denver Calvary Church Aurora Calvary Church uh, wherever we are and so um, we have had before a campus uh, in Denver uh, and it was a great ride we learned a lot and if we do it again we'll do it a little differently uh, and learn from our mistakes so at any rate, we are celebrating 20 years. We invite you to come. Maybe in some way this ministry uh, has affected your life. Why don't you just come out and celebrate with us? It's going to be a big, fun celebration. There will be some trips down memory lane, of course. We will uh, celebrate the faithfulness of the Lord. And that's next Wednesday, the 18th, December 18th, 7 p.m., right here at Calvary Church. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've seen we've got some videos, uh, we've got some people that are going to share. We got a lot of worship because it's a celebration, so it is a worship service. Uh, and we also have, uh, we'll have some snacks, I think, downstairs, and uh, we'll, I'll have a little bit of an exhort, exhortation for us of what the, the, the big thing that, the big thing that we have, you know, the big... Um, and by the way, I'm talking, I know, uh, I'm talking because I'm waiting for the calls to come in. So 303-690-3000, 303-690-3000. But while we wait for the calls, we are, um, we, we are inviting you, if you've ever been affected by our church, if you used to come to our church uh, and moved on, if Grace FM has affected you, obviously you're listening to Grace FM right now. Uh, Grace FM is a ministry of the church. It's not its own entity. It is an outreach. It's one of one of the larger outreaches of our church, uh, an outreach that's kingdom-minded, not just church-minded, like the church, not our church. So you listening on Grace FM, you should just come on out on a Wednesday night. It'll be grand and glorious and fun. I know a lot of you don't know that we met in the school all those years. A lot of you don't know we met in a shack uh, on uh, the on a piece of property of the Episcopal Church in Aurora. You don't know we met upstairs in a church in an upper room. Many of you don't have uh, any idea that we had a cafe across the street. We rented some retail space and opened up what we called the One Way Cafe. It was a cafe, a bookstore, and our offices and a little uh, meeting area that, that probably sat 150, 200 people. And uh, you know, over the years, we'll, we'll kind of look at some pictures, and and then the, the, the thing that we have adopted, and we're going to adopt it for 2020 as well, is, is we love the past, but we live the future, and that's that. Uh, we love the past, but it's over, and let's move forward in what God's doing. Let's, let's be open and ready for a new work of God, new wine poured into new wineskins, um, I was listening to a Bible study today from Pastor Chuck Smith uh, when he was going through uh, uh, his in-depth teaching of the book of Luke, and he spent about 20 minutes talking about new wine and new wineskins. It was fascinating, so encouraging. 
So give me a call, 303-690-3000. There are no calls, uh, which is rare. So, man, call me. Lines are open. Text me, 720-336-0897. Hello, Pastor Ed. Can you help me understand the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? And if someone does blasphemy the Holy Spirit and later comes to Christ, then how is it only the only unpardonable sin? Can you give me a couple examples of what blasphemy is? I think something to do with attributing God's work to Satan. Great question. Thanks for texting it in. Uh, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit by Jesus teaching himself is a sin that's unforgivable. And because blasphemy, that word, is used, it can be easily confused, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit can be easily confused with your general run-of-the-mill blasphemy. Uh, and, And so blasphemy is a sin that can be repeated multiple times. Uh, blasphemy, mockery. The definition of blasphemy is an act of insulting or showing contempt or lack of reverence for a religious, for God. Uh, The act of insulting or showing contempt and a lack of reverence for God. Paul himself admitted that he lived a life of mockery and blasphemy toward God, and yet he, he was saved. So as we work our way backwards, we can conclude that Paul never committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit but indeed was a blasphemer, was a mocker, was a cynic and a skeptic, uh, and many, many other things. Uh, He was very much a man that was against God. And and so I I also look at my own life and think, my goodness, um, I too have a a background, uh, and I am blas... Blasphemy. I am trying to look it up, but I spelled it wrong. Um, blasphemy and that insulting God or mockery, um, Paul admits to doing it himself. Now, we have the phrase uh, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit given to us in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 3, uh, in verse 28. It says, Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter. So there's the general sense of blasphemy, the insult, the general insults. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit has never has forgiveness and is subject to eternal condemnation. The way that we can pull the definition of this out is by the context. And the context is a group of people that are attributing the works of God to the devil. And somehow... Now, that's not just in a general sense. Something happens spiritually with these guys that they cross the line. And that's the problem with the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We don't know. And it's truly impossible for us to humanly know if someone committed that because it's a spiritual act of sin against God. And the rejection of Jesus Christ, if you die in that sin, then you will not be forgiven of it. You are subject to eternal condemnation. But the general blasphemies, the insults, the things that, you know, I think sin in and of itself is a general insult to the to the holiness of God. and But the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is an unforgivable, and I, I believe the Bible teaches in the, unforgiv- the, the unforgiveness is directly related to that person has no relationship with Jesus Christ, and they died in this sin. 
303-690-3000. Joe from Denver, Colorado. Joe, welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor. I had an original question, but I've been going to the Church of Latter-day Saints. And okay. do you, I, I can't believe that there's, that there's a prophet walking the earth at this time. Do you believe there's prophets in this world at this time? No, I don't believe in the teachings of of the so-called Church of the Latter-day Saints. I think you should get out of that church as fast as possible. Their town is the Christmas. You know, I've, I've been going there six months of Christmas. There's no such thing as Christmas. and I'm, I, I don't know how to take that. I've always believed in it, but... I'm well, they've got bigger teaching problems. Me, teaching me different things that I'm not, I've never heard of. They, they've got different... They have more significant problems than Christmas... The, the greatest problem that a Mormon has is their belief in who Jesus Christ is. They do not believe in the Jesus Christ of the Bible, but rather they've made up their own, uh, their own deity. And there, there are many, many teachings among the Mormons that are not biblical. Uh, they don't hold up to the biblical teachings, and therefore you should run away from them as fast as possible. I plan on doing it. I just wanted to hear your view. What do you think about Christmas, about Christmas, Pastor? I think Christmas is a day where the birth of Jesus Christ is celebrated, even though there are elements of Christmas that have really nothing to do with Jesus, very much like our calendars or like life in general, like like even a church gathering. You know, we have chairs and microphones. There, Those things are not in the Bible, but our, the gathering together is. And so the celebration of the, one of the greatest acts to ever occur on the earth, the birth of the Savior, is a day that should be set aside, uh, that could be set aside for those that want to, great. Those that don't want to, great. Um, but, you know, Christmas has nothing to do with trees, decorations, has nothing to do with Santa Claus, has nothing to do with shopping. Christmas is a day that's set aside to remember the birth of Jesus Christ, and and so if that's the focus of that day, then we would do well to enjoy the festivities and use them for the purposes of spreading the gospel. Um, but Christmas is a great day. I enjoy the time. I enjoy the season. I love the church is overflowing with people that I get to preach the gospel to and encourage them in the Lord. I love it. Okay, thank you, Pastor. I listen to you every morning. Thank you. God bless you, sir. You're welcome, Joe. Let us know when you get out of that. Like, you got to write them a letter and say you don't want to come back anymore. That's right. Thank you, sir. Okay, bye-bye. 303-690-3000 is the number. We're going to go to Aurora, Colorado. Phil, welcome to the program. Uh, hi. Um, my question uh, was kind of came up over Thanksgiving. Uh, I was having a conversation with my uh, brother-in-law and uh, the, the topic of, of transgender kind of came up, and um, and he was, you know, I don't know. Through the course of the conversation, we were sort of talking about well, that that um, like, you know, birth defects or different things would be the effect of sin, just that a fallen world, and that we all have to deal with sin. And so I, whether that well, that's correct or not, you can clarify for me, but. Um, and then he was saying that having a sex change would be the same as correcting like a different birth defect. 
a birth defect. And, uh, and so, um, <clears throat> so I just kind of wanted to get your, uh, like a biblical perspective on, on that. Well, um, not being in the conversation, uh, that you were in, it would be difficult, like to really try to grasp the argument that, that your family member was, you know, your, was it a friend, family? Family. Yeah. So, you know, the argument that your family was, but in a general sense, um, the, the move today, the broader scope of the environment of the LGBTQ uh, community of gender reassignment or gender change is not the equivalent of fixing a birth defect. Uh, for example, um, my nephew um, had was born with a cleft palate and has, has endured many, many difficult surgeries to correct that. Um, what, what's being changed in him is something that could cause him great um, physical pain and difficulty and maybe even open for disease in the future. It's a very serious thing that the doctors were able to diagnose and fix. Um, I think of a young boy in our church that was born with, uh, I, I believe, I might be misspeaking, but uh, a club foot and through braces and you know i think of what the doctor said i remember walking along this family in there you know the doctor said oh he'll never play sports and he'll never run and you know he's grown up now and he owns the church like he's very athletic he doesn't wear braces anymore and and the if you want to call it a defect i don't even know if that's a proper way to to ascribe it but if you want to call the abnormality perhaps to be corrected um is in a whole different category than a person that says, uh, I want to change my body. Let, let's, so let's define our terms. Um, for someone that is being, going through a gender uh, transformation, whatever that word is, you know, changing, changing the way they appear uh, in order to look like they are the opposite sex. So a man wanting to look like a woman, a woman looking like a man, that surgery only changes the appearance of a person. That's it. Uh, it doesn't change a person. Um, the DNA within a person, the chromosomes within that, within that person uh, are either, you only got two options. They're either going to be male or female, just like the Bible says. The Bible says, I mean, logic says that, but the Bible, greater than logic, says that God created them. Jesus taught us this. God created them male and female. And so the the and trying to make sex change or you know whatever gender transformation or whatever phrases they want to use today analogous with fixing a a birth defect is speaking in apples to oranges um god created men and god created women and there is it's very assigned uh, gender roles there's very assigned gender um specific appearances and so for a person that says, uh, I want to change, uh, and again, I want to be careful in our dialogue because I know kids listen. So, you know, I want to, I want to change and become another, I want to become a man. That's impossible. That is, man cannot do that. They can change all the outward stuff. They can make things look differently, but no matter how they appear, uh, their nature is what they were born um, there's a fancy word for that. It's called ontological. And all that word means is 
is the nature of a person. Um, so there, it, it's in no way the same as changing uh, or addressing any defects or abnormalities in a person's life. So uh, my my family was bringing up a, a, a complicating thing where, like, a baby is born without distinguishable genitalia, and yes, uh-huh. so and so saying, you know, that sometimes the parents, you know, pick a gender, and it was just it was just very confusing for me, and just that, I mean, I was really not sure where to, where to kind of come down on this kind of thing, but basically saying, I guess. The long and short of thing is it unbiblical? Is it uh, well? Here's the thing: or wrong to, to do that. I guess here's the thing. You know, here's the thing that's important for us. Uh, we have to be careful not to allow the obvious to be dismissed by the exception. So the description that you're describing is known as a hermaphrodite, and. Certainly there are, if, if that, that is such a rare condition that in no way normalizes that kind of behavior for the rest of the world, for a world that's anti-God, for a world that's anti-scripture, for a world that wants to do their own thing, that wants to live sexually immoral lifestyles. The hermaphrodite argument has no bearing on what the Bible teaches. It's a challenge. Definitely it's a challenge and a decision needs to be made um, or a decision is made at birth um, that that might need, but it's such a rare situation. It's sort of like the argument about abortion, uh, where God makes it pretty clear, um, 100% clear, that abortion is a sin. But the in the dialogue, in the, the, the uh, arguments through that, there will always be the exception. Well, what about to save the life of the mother? Or what about the in the cases of rape or incest. And I, I, I immediately admit that those are challenging, difficult um, situations. Uh, and in no way do I dismiss them. That if those situations happen, they're very challenging and very difficult, no doubt. But does that change God's word? Like, I don't think it changes God's word. And, right. and so you, you, the, the attempt to undermine the obvious with an exception or the attempt to undermine the norm with an exception is a very poor argument, a very weak argument. And while we can, you know, we can talk, we can talk about that and say, yeah, there, a change needs to be done. It is not the same. And I think we talked about this yesterday in a different, a different conversation. It's just a categorical fallacy. We're talking about a different category of people. And so when we're talking, we just got to separate the categories and make sure a baby born as a hermaphrodite is a different category than what we're seeing in the world today. And, and, I, 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 and thinking, I have to... Go ahead. Oh, I was thinking later, well, maybe that wouldn't be against God's... It wouldn't be like the, against God's design that maybe God designed them to not have to deal with all of the things that come along with sex and sexual relationship and all the temptations and so on, and that, that maybe that would be part, could still be part of God's design for that person, even, I don't know, I mean, but as not being God, maybe, you know, I don't know, but... Well, I mean, but it's, you got you got to understand, we got different questions here. Um, if you, that's what's, depending on what the motive of was of this discussion, that's what, that, it just muddies the water, and in, in order to make the water clear... 
we need to separate our questions. Is what we're seeing in the LGBTQ community today and all the sex changes, uh, is that okay with God? No, it's not okay. It's not. It's, it's not okay biblically. It's not okay logically. It's not okay by the obvious nature of who we are, male and female. And we have to, that's a separate argument then. Well, wait, wait a minute. What about the possible defect that literally happens um, generally one in 20,000 newborns, if that? One. Uh, and so let's talk about that. And at the end of that discussion, we're probably going to, we're probably going to conclude, man, that's a challenging thing. And if I'm ever in that situation, I believe God would give me wisdom what to do with my baby. Um, but the difference of, there's a difference too. Uh, I think that, um, again, I'm not an expert in this area, but that baby would be born with either male or female chromosomes, which would identify who they are which then would give the doctors wisdom on what kind of genitalia they would put or give that baby. And so the argument's actually not as challenging as it sounds. And so the, uh, the biblical, so the biblical um, view would be basically that because God created us male and female, that that is a sin because it's uh, not... Because it's changing. God made you this and knit you together in your mother's womb this way. So to change that is wrong. Correct. And All and right. the the, the morality of the scriptures are very clear um, that life belongs to God. We're created in His image. He has a plan and purpose for our lives. And we and and if we believe that God created male and female and we believe that God is without error, then your creation and my creation as a male is God's will for our lives. And, and then you factor in the difficulties of the purposes of why generally those changes, again, we're talking generally, and again, we're on a public radio you know, with kids listening, but the general sense of those changes are to participate in further sexual sin. It is not done in an act of worship toward God. It is not done by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's not done uh, instructed by the scriptures. It's not done led by the Holy Spirit. It's not done with God's approval. I mean, we could go on and on. Just like robbing a bank. We can make the same arguments for robbing the bank, couldn't we? Yeah, I guess I, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure the analogy we were going at with that. But well, if, is is robbing a bank from God? Is no. robbing a bank led by the Holy Spirit? Is robbing no. a bank biblical? Is it scriptural? No. And and so I could still say though I'm robbing a bank because my family's hungry. Like I can make up a reason for it, um, as a person because I, I feel. I feel more feminine than male, so I want to look that way. So, but the Bible says that that's not from God, that, that he made you male and female. Well, I don't, I, I want to do what I want to do is basically the, the sum and summary of that. Okay, I want well, to marry thank, three people. Yes, I think it's a great question. It's a very challenging question. I think we need to answer it with sensitivity and, and carefulness and, and in, also recognizing that the the big difference is really not the 
the act that's that it's really not the the sex change at all. What the real big difference is is do we agree on the same authority over our lives? Because if we don't have the same authority over our lives, then we're obviously going to come to different conclusions. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. God bless you. 303-690-3000 is the number. Uh, 303-690-3000 is the number. Coming back to uh, my call screen, I see... My producer put in a lot of info that I could have used, but I didn't see it. We'll be right back. This is Calvary Live. Got a couple open lines, and I see some text there. So we're going to have plenty of things to talk about the second half. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, welcome back to today's edition of Calvary Live. Sometimes the shows are lighter, sometimes they're heavier, but nevertheless, we get to talk about the things that are happening in culture around us and hopefully come to some biblical conclusions. And it's those biblical conclusions that we want to share that are that are the foundation for sharing the gospel. And being able to being able to take, you know, being able to take things and and lay before them a well reasoned answer that can be substantiated through the scriptures. There may still be disagreement but at least we have a biblical answer. Um, I, was, I was thinking of um, Peter. Peter was told to always be ready to give an answer, and that, that's, an important, uh, that's an important truth. That, uh, as a matter of fact, my friend has a ministry that it's be, always be ready uh, because that's the name of his ministry. He's based it on giving uh, insight that um, would enable him to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. And so I'm trying to find it here. And I don't know why. I'm trying to find a new, I'm trying to f- use a new Bible program and get used to it. And the one I've used for 28 years is just so much easier. Um, so I'm going to pull it up. And I'm going to give up on the show right now and, and say, hope lies within you. I want to make sure I get it. Be, always be ready to give a defense. For some reason, 1 Peter 3.15, got it. It says, but sanctify the Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. And that's part of the show where we're learning how to give an answer. Uh, everyone may not be happy with the answer that we give, but we give it based on uh, the interpretation of the scriptures. All right, over to Baltimore, Baltimore, Maryland. Michelle's calling. Michelle, welcome to the program. Hello, Pastor Ed Taylor. Thank you for taking my Hi, call. Hi, Michelle. You're welcome. Hi. Yes, um, I'm calling just to say about the scripture in Matthew chapter 9 about Matthew follow Jesus. Okay, um, the scripture is a uh, 
Well, I've been going to doctors so many times. I've been getting my uh-huh. energy up to go to the doctors for testers, MRIs. It's coming up on Friday, God willing. And um, the scripture is uh, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 12. But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Yes. And then, First chapter uh, 12, 13, uh, Matthew chapter 9, was 13. And, yes. And, but go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Okay, um, I'm, I'm having problems. You know, I'm going to these doctors, and then I got to get an MRI. This is my last time getting all these tests. Because nothing got done but injections in my shoulder and my right knee. And I can go to, to these doctors and put my energy into going to them. But then when I need right. to follow Jesus, like Matthew done, like in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. He said unto him, follow me. And he arose yeah. and followed him. Okay. And I just need some prayer because Social Security is coming against me for my finances. I got a letter, and they want to give me an interview, not yet, but later on uh, December 31st. And um, I just had a point where I'm at my last week's end with going to these doctors, but I do need some help with finding out what's going on with my right arm, pain in my arm, and I'm on medications, and then... I don't comply mm-hmm. with the mental health with psychiatrists or therapists and everything. So can you pray for me that God can give I the can. doctor's wisdom? I will. Let's do that. Father, I pray for my sister in Maryland and all these things that just keep adding up and adding up and piling up in her life, God, that you would relieve some of the pressure, some of the issues, that you would uh, re- reveal yourself to her as Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals that you would use this situation, as difficult as it is, to draw my sister closer to you, helping her to grow in her faith and her trust of you, God. I pray that you would uh, even continue to use her as a testimony and a strength to others, uh, that they would find their hope and their strength in you because of her testimony, because of her love for you. And I pray for, I just hear it in her voice, Lord. She's tired. It's challenging. It's hard for her. And I pray that you God would be a supernatural strength to her during this difficult, difficult season. And, and God, that the next, one of the next phone calls we get from her would be one that is tremendously encouraging and a testimony of your faithfulness. Uh, and just hearing uh, a great um, turn of events for uh, her life in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Everybody, Call us back. Let us know how it goes. Thank you, Pastor. All right. Bye bye. All right. 303 690 3000 is the number. 303 690 3000. Taking your calls and your questions. Uh, those are hard. You know, I know many of you listening in are in just, just real, Im- almost seemingly impossible situations things that are outside of your control and things that just seem to be piling up. And I I just, I want to acknowledge that to you right now. I'm sorry that you're facing uh, so many difficulties and so many challenges. Um, There are just times when I wish I had some kind of power to take them away. But then 
you know, I'm not God, so I don't know how God's using him in your life and taking him away may actually be worse than you learning to live with them. Uh, re- and, and you say, Ed, how can that be possible? Well, first of all, I know how hard it is. I recognize how hard it is to believe that. Uh, so definitely, you know, how can that be possible? But I can say, though, that I do think it's possible because of of the episode in the life of Paul when he asked for that thorn in his flesh to be removed and God himself said he wasn't going to remove it. God himself said he would not remove it uh, and instead taught him to live with it, uh, taught him to trust. And uh, so appreciate um, you guys listening and praying and don't lose hope. God's using you. God's wanting to be used by you. Uh, I mean, God's wanting you to be used by him, I should say. So, it's great. 303-690-3000. All right, we're going to go right to line one is a a guy that has a question. Welcome to the program. Hi, sir. Uh, hey, what's going on? You may be talking to me. Pastor. I'm yes, talking please. to you because I don't know your name. I, I just said I... I told your uh, phone answer, I just say bro. Okay, well, what's your question, bro? All right, sir, thank you. Um, I work with a co-worker. I, I mentioned your call assistant. I said I'm, I'm like five-star Christian. I like to believe the Son is who he is and the New Testament and the belief the Word is what the Word says. And his comment, my co-worker, this man's from India, Um okay. Oh, all religions worship God. Oh, we we all every every man ever you know that elaborate this that. And I asked your your caller answer a precise said, "Well, um, but uh, my the God that I say is my God, and then there's a son. Um, my God says, don't call my son, because the son says, if you deny me, then you deny my father also. And so I, I made the comment that, so if I'm a Jewish man and I'm over in, uh, if I'm over in Israel and I'm banging my head on the wailing wall and setting prayer envelopes and, oh, I'm worshiping God. Well, yeah, I'm worshiping God. Oh, Jesus who? So, I wonder. How about, has, how about the well, question? What do you, what's your question? It's just what, where where is the where is the formula that um, um, the, the the testament says believing in the Father and the Son is, I guess, a struggle for certain mankind. They want to pray to the Father, but they want to deny me the Son. Well, I would say anyone that does deny the Son is denying the one true God. Uh, Jesus himself claimed to be God him, himself out of his own lips on multiple occasions. It's part of the it's part of the pra- the practicality of why they crucified him. They believed he was blaspheming God. And and so for your friend, I think G- went to it to the comment um for the to the comment of your friend, uh I think that I like to always point out that there is a distinction between gods, little g, and God, capital G, and all the rest of the little g's. 
uh, and the, the distinction is made by Jesus' lips himself when he declares to be, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Those are exclusive statements. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And that is a statement of exclusivity. Uh, there is no uh, variance with that. Either Jesus was right, or he was wrong, or I think it was C.S. Lewis said or he was delusional. But his statement puts to rest the thought that we're oh, everyone's God is the same. Um, everyone's God is not the same. The, when the Muslim worships Allah, that is not the God of the Bible. When the Buddhists worship all of their false gods, that is not God of the Bible. When the Jehovah Witnesses worship their 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 uh, invention of Jesus, that's not the God of the Bible. When the Mormons worship their invention of Jesus, that's not the God of the Bible. When this cult that goes around to Starbucks and Walmart and different places and talks about the Queen Mother, that's not the God of the Bible. Uh, the God of the Bible is very clear and very precise and very specific. Thanks for your call. 303-690-3000. Over to Brighton, Colorado. Brighton, we have John on the line. John, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you very much. I appreciate it. This is a great opportunity, so thank you for having me. Hi, what's up? Um, yeah, so there was a question I had. It was in regards to the, the, the big question, which I, we can't really dig into too much, is you know, the difference between the Old Testament laws and then the New Covenant and, you know, the New Testament. And more okay. specifically, it was um, some of the things I hear about, like tithing. So I understand in the Old Testament, you know, we tithe 10%. There's that magical number, 10% of our first fruits and so forth. And yet um, there's some that will say that, well, we're under the New Covenant, you know, through Jesus Christ. And I think it's Paul, and, and forgive me because I'm going to butcher this, but it's like, you know, when it comes to giving, we kind of give as our heart directs us or something along those lines. And I kind of see both sides, but I've had certain, I've gone to certain churches where they've been really adamant, like, no, 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 you've got to give your 10% because that's what the Bible says. And it's very browbeating, if you will. And yet I've been to other ones that have like, hey, you know, we don't make an issue out of this, give out of your heart. And I, my question is being like, you know, where do you sort of draw the line between what laws of the New Testament or the Old Testament do you still adhere to? Obviously, the ones about I'm not going to, you know, I will honor my mother and father and I will not commit murder and things like that. But, And I apologize if I'm kind of rambling. I'm a little nervous That's being okay. on the air. But um, no, a great I just question. kind of want to see what you had to maybe say about something like that. Well, there's some general, there's some general lines that we can draw when it comes to what truths of the Old Testament carry over into the New Covenant life. Uh, and the line that, that, that I would draw as I was teaching through this is, is making sure that we understand that there's a distinction between ceremonial laws and moral laws, right? The moral laws carry over into the New Testament because God doesn't change. The ceremonial laws were given to the nation of Israel to set them apart in preparation for the coming of Messiah. So the diets, what they wear, how they plant their seed, were all very important uh, laws of God that were given in the Old Covenant for the purpose of, of separating the children of Israel from the pagans around them. And the ceremonial laws do not carry over into the New Covenant. 
but God's moral laws do. And I would place giving as a moral law of God, his generosity. He's, he has demonstrated to us that he is a giving God, uh, right? He, it says that uh, in the, the, the verse that, that is memorized probably the most around the world is John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he what? He, finish it for me. Do you know it? Gave his only son. He gave, right. God is the initiator, and he's a giver. So giving is a principle that carries over from the Old Testament to the New Testament, number one. Number two, okay, so what about the tithe? Now, it's interesting, a careful study in the Old Covenant, uh, and, and people vary on these numbers, but a typical Jewish person would give more, more like 35 to 40% of their income toward the work of the Lord. And 10% of it was designated for the temple or tabernacle worship. But there was a giving system among the children of Israel that, that kind of mimics uh, and replaces what we see in our gov- what the government provides today, the people of God provided for one another. And so their, their giving was actually far more than 10%. Now, mm-hmm. when, when we carry over to the New Covenant, the New Covenant requirement is actually more than 10%. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Uh, I'm going to read to you and see if it doesn't, if you don't hear it in this text, the importance of giving. Because of all that God has done for us, um, this is what the Bible says. You ready? Sure, in, yeah, please. Ro- Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So the principle of giving now is saying, okay, Ed, uh, okay, um, let me get to your, um, I lost your name, John. Okay, John, okay, Ed, here's what I require you in the new covenant. Okay, Lord, what is it? 10%? Is it 12%? What is it, Lord? And he says, I require all of you. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And... And what he's speaking relational terms. You know, he's not he's speaking in, in relationships. He says, Look, Ed, this is an all or nothing thing in your life. You're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things are added unto you. Like you're to trust me for things. You're you're to be a generous, you're to reflect my love and mercy, and and you're to reflect the love, you're the hands and feet of Jesus on the earth today. So he died, he gave himself in crucifixion. Uh, and so the principle of giving is generosity and it not only does giving cross from old to new covenant but now the new standard is that it comes through a sense of wholeness where we give all of ourselves and 10 percent seems very little compared to that so let me give you the third point and then you could follow up we do have insight of giving we do have insight of giving in the new testament like financially to the apostles in the book of acts uh, we have collections being taken on Sundays in the Book of Acts, and then we have that those few verses, that few chapters to the church in Corinth, where Paul does instruct how to give. You know, keep your commitments. If you say you're going to give it, then give it, and don't you know, don't pull back on that. And then he says, you know, that we're to give cheerfully, as God purposes in our hearts. Which people love that verse. People that don't give love that verse uh, because. <laughs> It sounds like it's an easy way out to say, okay, um, well, I just don't purpose on my heart to give. As if, 
you're okay with, you know, as if that's okay. Um, that just tells me your heart not, is not connected to the giving God. Because if your heart was purposed in the Lord, you would be a generous person. You'd be generous in your tithes and offerings. And I use that as a phrase, a general sense of giving through your local mm-hmm. church. Uh, you'd be generous in giving to your neighbor. You'd be generous in giving to us, to the sick, to the poor. We would be a gen. We, I believe the mark of the church has a sense of generosity to it. Um, and mm-hmm. so my conclusion is this. The tithe, the 10%, is a good measuring stick and a good beginning. And yeah. I don't believe that the New Covenant believer, that the tithe is mandated to the New Covenant believer. I don't believe that at all. Um, right. I believe we were held to a higher standard than the tithe, not lower. Yeah, and that, that's great. And I appreciate you sharing that, especially the, the Romans 12 one. And I'm going to go back and reread that and, and, and pray upon that, because I think for me, my struggle has been... Um, I understand that. I know it's something I need to work on, and I don't like to think of myself as not being generous, but I unfortunately get too realistic, like, well, I've got these obligations, that, and the other thing, but it's like, you know, God's first. And I think when you just said that, you know, I he has all of me, and I can't just look at it like, well, you get a part of me, and, and that's just, it's not going to fly. It's, all, it's like it's an all-or-nothing thing. And and I think too the where I, where I, I will say where I personally struggle. And I don't know if anybody else listening has had this, but you know when you sometimes sit in these churches and and they really try to drive this thing like you need to give us your ten percent and don't give it to somebody else, give it to the church because we're the ones here to serve. And it just really it jaded me because it made me feel like wow, I mean I, I can't even be generous because I'm giving what you're already expecting from me. So how do I? even feel good about that. And whereas I feel like in some respects, I mean, I try to give as much as I can, certainly through tithing, but um, in my interactions with people in general and, and where I see need and, and things like that, I, I'd, I'd like to throw myself into that. And, you know, and it's not like I'm looking for validation to that, but I just didn't want that to be marginalized to this ideal that like, no, John, you have to give me this money and you better be happy about it, or you know you're not going to get blessings. And I've heard that before too, and that and that really kind of bristled on me. And you know, I, I guess it's just it depends on the messenger or something. But I think it was, does. I think that you know, that there's also an there's an important piece that we that we hold to in in our church and and in our family of churches as we teach through the Bible. We let the Bible say what it says in the context and the timing of it, and. And I don't really have a problem standing in the pulpit and telling the church, if you don't want to give, don't give. That's not, it's actually not my problem. It's your problem. And it it is a problem. Let's make no mistake about it. But I have no obligation to beg. I have no obligation to stretch. Your giving actually isn't to me. Um, Let's just say you're in our church. You know, if you give of your tithes and offerings within our church, you're not giving to me. That money doesn't go into my pocket. I don't deposit it in my bank account. Uh, I, I receive a salary. So does you know forty five other people from our church. They uh, we we give benevolence. We we pay our bills. We uh, put the radio station on. You know, like like it it gets used for the purposes of God developing this church family. But if you don't want to, I always I, I say this. I even got people complaining. Ed, you're telling people it's okay to sin. No, I'm t- I'm not telling people it's okay to sin. I'm telling them to obey the Bible. And if if you have a problem with giving, then that's a problem between you and God. Right. And, and 
And, and I do want you to give cheerfully. I want you to be excited about it. And, and I'll even use that illustration because we don't do a formal offering in our church. We have offering boxes that you can use. And it's like, look, if you're going to go put a check in there, go, oh man, I can't believe I got to give again. And I don't want to give. I hate this. I could buy a new bike for this. And well, then just keep it. Stop bellyaching about it and keep it. Go buy yourself a bike. Go buy a hamburger. Go get something at Costco. Deal. Go ahead and do what you think is on your heart. But understand that the Bible teaches generosity, and because we're still using the phrase tithe, the tithe belongs to the Lord, so it comes to your yes. local church. It doesn't, we can't just like um, say, well, I'm going to, I tithe uh, to another ministry, or I tithe to Grace FM. That's impossible. You cannot tithe to Grace FM. Anything that you give to Christian Radio, Hope FM, Truth FM, is given unto the Lord as an offering after you've already tithed and supported your local church, your local pastor, your your local leadership, your local community church that God uses. And okay. Well, that makes a lot more sense to me now. Like I said, it's just, in my experience, I just, the message has not really come across that way. And it's like you said, I, I enjoy giving and I want to do everything I possibly can. And I go back and I think about the story in the Bible, the woman that, the poor woman that gave everything she had, like her little, you know, her two pennies, whatever, and and that was all she had, and yet, um, you know, it, and she found it in her heart to do that, and it's like, to me, it's like, that's my benchmark, it's like, I'd love to be in that position where it's just like, I just give it all. It's, it's, um, it's definitely something challenging, and one last thought I like to share, too, is a lot of times it gets confused within the church setting that that giving is God's way of fundraising, because, you know, we'll ask for, hey, God is going to do this, and and uh, we he wants to put us in a new building, wants to do, and we think it's fundraising, but it's actually not at all. Giving is God's tool of disciple raising. He's raising his kids. Um, any of us that have raised kids, we know that teaching your kids to separate from something that they value is a discipleship moment. And unfortunately, in our culture, money's king, man. And money's everything to us. It make, money makes the world go around, and unfortunately, it strangles out the life of faith in us too much. Yeah, I understand. Well, thank you so much. This was just very right, incredible, man. and I appreciate you. I didn't mean to take up so much time, but That's this was right. a great discussion, and, and thank you. And for your first time on the air, you did amazing. You did great. <laughs> all right. Thanks Talk again. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. All right. Well, we're coming up on the end of the show today. I appreciate you guys... Uh, Listening in, I want to remind you we have weekend services. We're in the book of Hebrews talking about faith. We're going to jump right into the hall of faith this week on the topic of Abel. So we'll be looking at Genesis together and looking at Abel and the faith of Abel uh, as as we open up to the first two uh, children born to Adam and Eve, or at least the fir- only two mentioned, uh, the first two mentioned, I should say, of Adam and Eve. Uh, and we'll be looking at Hebrews this weekend. Then next Wednesday, and we're going to mention this every day, next Wednesday, our our 20th anniversary, we want you to come out, uh, especially if Grace FM has been a big part of your life. Well, Grace FM is a ministry outreach of our church. And, and I do want to take the time to thank you for your generous financial support of Christian Radio. Of, going, of course, it's Grace FM originating here at Calvary Church. You guys on Hope FM and Truth FM and any radio station you're hearing this on, um, support local radio. But you guys have been overwhelmingly generous with Grace FM, and I want to thank you. Um, It is coming up to the end of the year, so if you want to help us end the year strong, 
Uh, you want to uh, continue to support Grace FM or start for the very first time? Uh, I mean, if every listener just gave a little every month, like we would, it would be amazingly overwhelming. And of course, we're looking to get another station that'll cover Pueblo, Canyon City, and stuff. So that's going to take some resources and more expenses and stuff. But I say all that to say, you guys have been generous. And uh, whether you gave a dollar or a million dollars, well, nobody really gave a million dollars. But if you did, uh, wh- whatever you give, the Lord knows, and he, and He uses it for Your glory. And and literally, lives are changed. Like for example, I just want to read this text real quick because uh, we got ninety seconds. But we got a text. Um, it's from uh, from somebody that says, "Hey, Pastor Ed, Marilyn. First of all, thank you. Uh, you prayed for my friend's husband. He was in ICU, facing very grim chances of surviving heart surgery." I texted you and pr- and you prayed for him. Within 20 minutes, he got a call that his numbers were good and that they were able to do the surgery after all. Surgery went great. He's home recovering. Hope this will encourage you, Marianne. Well, there you go. Be encouraged. The Lord is faithful. And however he answers our prayers, even when he answers them differently. I was talking to a brother last night after service. Man, we were there late. We were there to like 11 p.m. Uh, and... We were just talking, you know what, one of the areas of my faith that's been undermined is that I've been diligently praying for a few things, and the answer has been the opposite of what I prayed for. And that just challenges your faith, you know? Uh, And so I've just been trusting the Lord and asking Him to build my faith and build my trust in Him. And it's what He does, because He loves you, and He loves me, and I'm appreciative of you. I love you in the Lord. Thanks for letting me be a small part of the big work in your life. Go to calvaryco.church. For more info about our church, God bless you. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.